This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, July 18th, 2021. David Friction. Frank was at the first service and we acknowledged his courage to share his testimony because it still is pretty, pretty raw. And um, it's not unlike some of the testimonies that some of us are going through even now or we have. And his message is sure that God has been with him and will be with him. And that's a promise for each one of us. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we take a look at David and and his life. So good morning, Connection Church. Good morning, good morning, everybody at home or wherever you might be. We are so glad that you've chosen to be with us on this gorgeous Sunday morning. Today is week three of our series on David. Today we're going to look at how he encountered some friction. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do welcome each and every one of you here this morning. Our mission is to connect people with Jesus and the new life he offers. And those of you who are joining us online, I see, uh, well, we've got a lot of households and we are connected, one church many locations. Would you pray with us, please? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. It's no accident that any one of us are here today or are um, at home worshiping. Lord, you are so good, and life can be so crazy, and so we ask you to settle us in wherever we are and remove any distraction. That distraction is the enemy. Help us have laser focus on you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. 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 So David, friction. And when we use that term friction today, it's kind of a broad term. It can mean, like in David's case, we're going to talk a lot about conflict that he had, the friction of conflict. But we're also meaning it to include like just challenges of life, like the challenge that Frank shared of losing a loved one, you know. All those things that just uh, are, are difficult for us, that make life not just absolutely smooth sailing, if you know what I mean, those things that put bumps in the road, so to speak. So two weeks ago, Bonnie shared with us David's faithfulness, how twice in Scripture we're told that he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, David was in constant pursuit of relationship with God. She shared how with us from all those who God could have possibly chosen to be the next king of Israel, God chose David, even as a young man out in the field caring for the sheep. Last week, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we saw David's fearlessness, faithfulness and then fearlessness, as he went into battle against the giant, say his name with me, Goliath, right, the giant Goliath, how God protected David and used Uh, the skills that David had been perfecting for years in the field as he protected his sheep and how David had complete trust in in the Lord as he went to battle against this giant who none of the other Hebrew soldiers were willing to battle. 
over and over again, it's made clear to us that there was something special about this relationship between David and the Lord. And yet, even though David was committed to God and God was committed to David, it didn't mean that life was a bowl of cherries for this shepherd, this giant slayer, this warrior, this future king of Israel. In fact, David experienced friction from very early on. So even before David took down Goliath, he had a relationship with the king. His name was King Saul. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, Bonnie talked about, uh, at two weeks ago, she talked about the chapter in which we see David anointed as the future king of Israel. And in that same chapter, we also see where the spirit of the Lord left Saul mm. and a tormenting spirit sent from the Lord brought trouble on Saul. Now, this is a, a troubling passage, I must say. I mean, uh, the spirit of the Lord leaving someone, a tormenting spirit from God coming in. And, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, oh, I want to like ignore that this is here. And it's very interesting because I was having a conversation with, with someone, John, who left this morning and was thinking about this. And his perspective, I'm like, gosh, I should have thought of that. But his perspective was that the Holy Spirit had not yet been identified. That I mean, the Spirit was there, but they didn't know the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit in my life convicts me, uh, chastises me, steps on my toes, and maybe that was interpreted perhaps as tormenting, and I, I don't believe that the Spirit of God torments, but the writer must have perceived that. And maybe that's a perspective. I don't know. It's one of these things where I want to say, God, like, why did you harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did you have, send the, you know, we all have questions. And anyway, he was in a tough spot. So that's what we need to realize here. Saul was in a tough spot. And so what do we do when we are in a tough spot? One thing that I do when I'm feeling out of whack, when I'm, uh, my heart is burdened or heavy or like in a, in a mess, I listen to music. I have this playlist depending on my mood, depending on my situation. Um, and so that's what Saul did. He wanted music. And so he had David, he wanted somebody to play a harp for him. Might not be my chosen instrument, but that was his chosen instrument. And so it was David that came to play the harp for Saul. It's important to know that Saul did not realize that David had been anointed by the future king. We're taking a look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 21 through 23. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, that's David's father, saying, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, 
David would play the harp and Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. So then in the next chapter, <clears throat> chapter 17, after David defeated Goliath, later in the chapter, the Philistines then uh, were on the run. <laughs> Their giant had been put down, so they were afraid. So they, they took off. The Israelites pursued them, defeated them, killing many Philistines along the way. Saul asks David, or asks whose son David is. He says, David, whose son are you? Apparently, he doesn't even recognize this guy who's been soothing his soul with the harp. But anyway, uh, David tells him he is the son of Jesse. And then we're told in the next chapter, chapter 18, that David then went everywhere that Saul sent him. And, and he did well. Saul had him lead men into war, and, and it was pleasing to all the people and to Saul's servants. David appears to be in good with King Saul, but not for long. Check it out. This is um, 1 Samuel 18. This is verses 6 through 16. Check this out. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. Notice it doesn't say they came out to meet David. They came out to meet King Saul, right? He's still the leader. And they sang and they danced with joy, with tambourines and so Man, it's a party, right? Right there in the street. And this was their song. I won't sing it. I'll just say it to you. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Ooh. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousand and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. <laughs> Little does he know <laughs> that that is on her horizon. And so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. It wasn't long ago that he loved David. And now things change quick, don't they? Jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit, there it is again from God, overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand. Who here sits around their house with a spear in their hand? Anybody? Oh, you probably don't want to admit to it, do you? Okay. Um, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the... If he pins him to the wall, I doubt he's just going to get a piece of his shirt. He's probably going to do damage, don't you think? To some flesh and some bone? Come on here. But David, I guess David was pretty quick. He was nimble. He was a young guy. He escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of that. I bet David was a little bit afraid of Saul too, don't you think? Saul was then afraid of David for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Doesn't that just break your heart? The Lord had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him, of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Wow. Wow, that's quite a story, isn't it? It is. It's very dramatic. 
So Saul was in a bad way. And rather than celebrating the victories that David brought to Israel, Saul felt threatened by them. And he was consumed with jealousy. Have you ever experienced jealousy? Just a little bit can get more and more and more, and it can get very ugly. I know when I've experienced jealousy, my heart is just so not right. Jealousy is an ugly thing, and this is what was driving Saul to this point to even want to kill David. Even though David defeated the giant, even though David was God's chosen one, even though David was powerful and he was a victorious military leader and he was loved by all of Israel and loved by all of Judah, it did not keep David from danger, from conflict, from friction. And this was just the beginning. David would face this, these challenges, this we're calling it friction, his entire life. Do you remember Saul had promised whoever would slay the giant, um, we shared this last week, that he would um, uh, receive some cash, a cash bonus. He'd get his daughter's hand in marriage, and he's, and he's tax-free. <laughs> remember? That's pretty good. So even though Saul, though, had promised David his daughter's hand in marriage for killing the giant, he, at this point, tells David that the price for his daughter's hand would be to go to battle against the Philistines and bring back proof that he had killed 100 men. Saul's plan, really, was for David to be killed in battle. That was what he was hoping for. But instead, David is triumphant and brings back, rather than a proof of 100, he proves that 200 men have been killed in the battle. Twice the price Saul asked. So, starting at verse 27b. So Saul gave his daughter Michal to David to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michal loved him, Saul became even more afraid of David. And here's the key here. And he, became, he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. So we started out with um, chapter 16, and then we've looked at chapter 18. The very next chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 19, begins with Saul telling his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now Jonathan and David become very close friends like brothers, but at this point, Jonathan... He's a friend of David's, and so he goes to warn David. He warned David that his father was looking to kill him. And Jonathan spoke well of David to his dad. Saul appeared to listen, and he responded by saying, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. <laughs> and so, wow, did he have a change of heart? Let's continue. Well, let's see. We're picking up 1 Samuel 19, 7 through 12. Afterward, Jonathan, that's Saul's son, best friend of David, called David and told him what had happened. And then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court as before. 
War broke out again after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury, they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with this, this guy sits around with spear in hand a lot, doesn't he? Spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. If you're getting the tormenting spirit from God, it's probably better to not sit around with spear in hand. Just a heads up to everybody. Anyway, as David played his harp, Saul hurled his spirit at David. We see a pattern here, don't we? Spirit David, but David dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. <laughs> Boing. He fled and escaped into the night. Wow. Then, um, then Saul sent his troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through the window, and he fled and escaped. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. From this point on, David was on the run. He was on the run from King Saul. Can you even begin to imagine a relationship that was at one point so good <sighs> turned south so quickly over and over and over again? David's life, his very life was threatened. Gosh, God, I thought David was special. <laughs> I thought that he was your appointed guy. Your king, the future king of Israel. What in the world is this about? Why is it so challenging for him to sit on the throne that you've promised him, Lord? Lord, what's going on? Hmm. So maybe you've been there a time or two. I know we have. You know, you're trying to do what is right. <laughs> or at least what you think is right. You're trying to do what you feel God has called you to do. And yet, no matter how hard you try, you're met with opposition, you're met with challenge, you're met with conflict. Our word today for it is friction. Friction. You're finding friction coming at you from every direction, and all you're trying to do is the right thing, and you're still getting that friction. you got to wonder, why is it that your life is filled with this friction, sometimes as a result of trying to get closer to God, trying to get closer to Jesus, more friction comes. Yeah, while other people who seem very far from God appear to have a whole lot less friction in their lives than your own. Anybody ever felt like, can I get an amen? Yeah, I know we've been there. You know, it's that age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? The question probably started the second after they took a bite out of that fruit in the garden. <laughs> and that's a question that's probably going to be with us till the end of time. And just the same, it's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Tough question to answer. Life can be so tough. And we try to do the right thing, and we just seem sometimes to not for the experience to not be good. Um, it was back in 2010, I think, and this church was going through some turmoil. And it was pretty significant. And I began to question uh, even my call to ministry, and in a different way than I already had questioned it. And 
actually questioned my leadership. Like, wow, I am a lousy leader. That's the tapes I heard. You're not good. You shouldn't be doing this. You're a really bad leader. You're making some bad decisions. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't casting. We were in it together along with some others, but it, I just felt like I was being tormented, and I don't believe it was the Holy Spirit torment. I think it was the evil one tormenting. And it was tough. And so part of me wanted to run and hide and just say, I, I just, I'm not good enough. But then the promises of God, the presence of God just kept, I kept feeling that just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And so I can tell you that not for a day or a week or a month or a year, but about two years, I stood up on the platform on Green Street and preached every single Sunday and continued to lead every single day the best I knew and kept trying to lean into God to carry me through. And this was a, a personal thing, just my own personal torment. And during that time, I could have, I, I could have left the ministry. I could have said, I, I can't do this, I'm not. And Nate, people like you, you were in leadership. It was tough. And you helped carry us through as well as some other leaders in the church. And so every week, I just kept standing up, smiling, kind of saying, okay, this is what I believe. Because here's the thing. Our decision to follow Christ and to live out each day is not based on a feeling or an emotion. It's based on a decision. And it's a based on promises that we know are true. And even if I don't feel it, it is still true. And so I can't tell you how it happened. And it wasn't, it had to be gradual because one day I realized that the, the heaviness had lifted. And so like Frank in his testimony, he just kept showing up. I just kept showing up. And that's what I think God wants us to do. Keep showing up keep being utterly dependent, keep trusting on the promises, and not on our own feelings, and not on our emotions, because they come and go. But God's word endures forever. And so I am completely lost. Here I, I see where I'm supposed to pick up. Book of Romans. Book of Romans. Yep. If we look at the book of Romans, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, Here's the hard part. But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who God has been given 
to us. That is something to draw a line in the sand in and claim as our own. And just a little aside, if you are looking for a perfect church, <laughs> this is not one of those. <laughs> but I can tell you that we are a church who passionately believes in the mission that God has given us and loves Jesus so much that we will do anything short of sin to help people understand who Jesus is and who they are in context of their life in Christ. Mm. Of course, on the other hand, if you're looking for the perfect church, good luck. Because the church ain't the building, it's the people. And none of us is perfect other than Jesus Christ. So, good luck on that search. <laughs> and so on that scripture, it's through suffering, through challenges that we are strengthened, and that produces perseverance to keep on keeping on, even when you don't feel like keeping on. And that leads to character. Character is who you are when nobody's looking. And that leads to hope. And our only true hope is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. The ultimate hope. But that happens if we turn to God in the midst of those challenges, in the midst of those sufferings, if we turn to God to give us the strength we need to face the friction in our lives, and then those things happen. On the other hand, if we turn our back to God, you know, when things get tough and say, God, where were you? I'm, I'm going a different direction. When we think God's abandoned us, when we run away from God, thinking God doesn't care, doesn't love us anymore, chances are really good that the challenge and suffering will not lead to perseverance, character, and hope. Because it's through God that those things happen. Through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're hit with challenges, when things don't go as planned, when we're trying to do the right thing, but that doesn't even seem to pan out, when we feel like we're doing what God is calling us to do, trying to do for others instead of ourselves, we have a decision to make. Do we turn toward God or do we run or turn our backs on God? Will we seek God's strength and help or do we distrust God and rely on ourselves? That's a scary thing. Now, I might make a, a decent choice for myself for a day or two, but ultimately that is going to plummet if it is not God's will. Mm. I'm looking at my news feed right now, and Stephanie wrote, we are uh, perfect in Christ. Because of Christ, hmm. we can experience uh, the perfect love. And it's just so important. So our choice when we're faced with something will make all the difference in the, on, in the world. Relying on God or relying on ourselves. Hmm. And so the same David we're talking about wrote many of the Psalms, not all of them, but many of the Psalms. And in those Psalms, he expresses a wide range of emotion. Probably the most well-known Psalm is Psalm 23. I think people who aren't even churchified are familiar with that Psalm. It's a, it's a Psalm of comfort and hope, a Psalm we often share at funerals because of that, because it brings such comfort and hope in which he expresses his confidence in God, how the Lord is his shepherd and he shall not want. Even if he walks in the valley of the shadow of death, he will fear no. 
See, we all know it, don't we? And they feel, fear no evil. And why is that? For God is with him. Powerful. It's a powerful celebration of trust in the Lord on, on David's part. What makes this psalm, I think, even more interesting is the psalm that immediately precedes it. Now, I don't think David wrote it immediately before he wrote that, but the way it's been placed in the Scripture, Psalm 22 is an interesting juxtaposition to Psalm 23, because check out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is what we see in the psalm immediately preceding. David writes this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? My God, my God. You can feel the angst. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Can you just feel the pain all the way to the core of his soul? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Oh my gosh. So this gosh. psalm is attributed to David as the author, but again, as Alan said, we're not sure when it was written, but whenever it is, you can hear this utter frustration, this sense of abandonment that David speaks of. Now, hundreds of years in the future, fast forward, we hear these same words from Jesus when he's hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. The pain expressed here cannot be overlooked. It's a pain that in this life we experience as well. Times when we may have felt forsaken. Where are you, Lord? Why don't you answer me, Lord? Why don't you change the situation, Lord? Where are you? And again, where choice can be um, to go toward or to turn away. There's times when we don't feel him, see him, hear him. David draws closer. Yet, Psalm 22, verses 3 to 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. Do you hear that confidence? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So even when feeling abandoned, even in the midst of feeling far from God, David doesn't turn away from the Lord, but he turns to the Lord. And what he does is he remembers what God has done in the past, knowing that uh, God is the one and the only one that he can trust no matter what. Now here's the thing, if we don't turn to God, where are we going to turn? <laughs> to ourselves? I don't know about you, but that hasn't always been my best look. In fact, rarely. We're going to turn to somebody else? Now, who would that be? Who is it in your life that would be better to turn to than the God of all creation? David continues, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. Since he delights in him, 
wow, now that sounds like the naysayers at the cross, those who were saying, oh, let Jesus save himself. Hmm. David continues, yet you, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there was no one to help. Now, as we said before, sometimes the closer we try to get to God, the closer we claim Christ, uh, our challenges increase rather than decrease. You know, a magic wand isn't wave saying everything's going to be peachy. Sometimes it gets more challenging. Sometimes there's greater friction the closer we get. So what if we, uh, kind of taken from, from David here, what if, what, what if we prayed something like this? What if we prayed something like this? Lord, even when everyone's against me, even when I'm challenged on all sides, Lord, Lord, I will trust in you. I will turn to you, Lord. I will look to you for my strength and hope, even when I'm feeling abandoned, even when I'm feeling forsaken. I will look to you for my strength and hope. It's you, Lord, and you alone that I trust and turn to, even when I'm feeling far from you. And I can do that, Lord, because you have been there in the past. And I know that you are with me now and will continue to be me with me in the future. Amen. Amen. So we frequently have a question when we get to this point. It's three <laughs> words. What about you? What about you? When things aren't going as planned, when you're feeling uh, opposition or challenge or conflict or, or you're in the waiting and the waiting goes on and on and on, when you're experiencing friction, what do you do? Where do you turn? And so, saying it again and again, we've got two choices, turn toward God or turn away from God. We turn away from God, as Alan said, where does that leave us? Leaning on ourselves or someone else. And sometimes we do need to lean on a godly person to get us through the moment. And that's why it's so important to have godly friendships and, and be in a small group. But when there's days that are challenging, including our relationship with God, remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we like to turn that around and say, for God so loved you, put your name in there, that he gave his one and only son that as you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. That is such good news, and that is so encouraging. And God loves you so much. You know how much he loves you. He loves you that much. You know, think the cross. He loves you that much. That much. And so when all else fails, when things go south, when it seems that even God has abandoned you, never, ever forget how much he loves you. And nothing can change that. Nothing you do, nothing you say, nothing you have done can change how much God loves you. 
You can do nothing to say God, for God to say, I think I'm done with you. I don't love you anymore. That's a human thing. That is not a God thing. And so that is such good news. It's also important to remember the words of the Apostle Paul found in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, say the rest with me, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you can take that with you for as long as you live. Yep, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Okay, I thought you were asleep there for a minute. Just want to make sure you're still with me here. Let's believe it. Let's live it. Let's pray. Most holy God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the example of David. Even when he's feeling far from you, even when he's feeling great friction, even when Saul's throwing spears at him, he continued to look to you for strength, for hope, for courage. Lord, please help us to know that you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are our hope, our only true hope. We thank you for those you've sent to walk alongside us, Christian friends, brothers and sisters who encourage, who, who hold up our arms when we're feeling weak. But help us to always remember that ultimately our hope is in you. And no matter the conflict, the challenge, the, the friction in our lives, Lord, please help us to not turn away, but to know that you are our hope and our salvation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray all those gathered here this morning agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.